Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Let's get back to Acts chapter 20, if you will. Turn back there with me where we read earlier this morning. Now, uh, when we read through that, uh, there's kind of one action-packed part, but the verses before that and the verses after that, you might have thought the same thing I did when I began studying it last week. Uh, boy, this, is, this is, seems to be pretty much uh, nothing more than a travel uh, itinerary. Uh, just a quick listing of all these different places that Paul stopped at as he sailed back to Jerusalem at the end of his third mission trip here. Uh, I mean, I'm reading these things. I'm like, it's a list of who went along with him here and there. But as we look a little bit closer, uh, we, this is an important itinerary. Uh, Luke's account here is brief and concise. Uh, there's a lot of time just in 16 verses here. But there's much for the follower of Jesus to learn about and to apply to our own lives as, as we obey a great commission that Jesus gave us to go here, there, everywhere, making disciples. Have you ever been reading God's Word? And maybe you came across one of those chapters that seems to be not a whole lot more than, than this person with an unpronounceable name begat, this person with an equally unpronounceable name, and you're like, God, what, you know, what am I supposed to learn from this? Listen, God has a purpose and sharing these kinds of sections of scripture with us. There's something. There's something there to learn for us. All of God's word is important. Every word inspired by him. It, so, I mean, it's important if for no other reason than the source. Then it's communicated to us by, by God himself. Amen? Amen. All right, before we go deeper here and see what God wants us to know in verses 1 to 16, let's ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, we come to your word asking your Holy Spirit to reveal its truth to us, uh, his ministry of illumination. Uh, may he make it clear uh, what it is you want us to learn and what it is that we might need to change in our lives. God, um, I'm thankful that um, the Holy Spirit can reveal the truth of your word. When we come across things that might not make a whole lot of sense, or we might not even think that there might be a, anything valuable there to mine, um, your Holy Spirit can show us that all of your word is quick and alive and is powerful, and um, it, it has a design in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. May that happen here this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, verses 1 through 6, um, they tell us about this mission team's makeup. Uh, verse 1 is this segue uh, between uh, all the strife and commotion that we learned about last week in, in the previous passage and the events of verse 20. It says in verse 1 that after the uproar was ceased, uh, Paul called unto him the disciples. He called unto him the Christians who were there in Ephesus, and he embraced them. And then he departed to go into Macedonia. Paul had spent a few years here in the city of Ephesus, helping plant this church, helping the Christians there grow. Um, these Christians in Ephesus were very dear to him. We're going to find that out even next week and as we head on uh, further in chapter 20. Uh, but he felt confident in the Lord right now that um, this church was on stable, safe ground, and Paul could continue to do what God had 
asked him to do elsewhere now. So he heads back to Macedonia, just as he had planned. We learned about that last week. Um, the Philippian church was in Macedonia. The Thessalonian church was there. If you remember uh, last week in chapter 19, verse 22, uh, Paul had sent Timothy and Erastus ahead to prepare for Paul's ministry to these two churches. And then verse 2 tells us here that Paul gave them uh, there in Macedonia, he gave them much exhortation. All right, so what, what did Paul see as his ministry? What did God call the Apostle Paul to do? What was it that is going to help the Christians that composed all of these different churches that we see in the book of Acts? What was going to help them get on mission themselves? Much exhortation, just like it says there in verse 2. Paul taught them God's word. Uh, Paul taught them to have a love for God's word, he taught them to depend on it, to find encouragement in God's word, to find joy in, in life in it. Listen, that is what grows Christians. That is what grows churches. Uh, not a pastor, uh, not even a style of worship. It's the word of God. Um, you might bring people in a few Sundays or even for a few years if you got some well-marketed, exciting event or, or activity. Uh, if numerical statistics on a particular day or even a particular time span, if they're your sole metric for uh, the health of a church, that might look like success. But the only thing, the only thing that helps people come to Christ and that helps people continue in their relationship with Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit's use of the Word of God, the Word of God given out. Much exhortation, much encouragement. That's what Verse 2 talks about. The end of verse 2 tells us that Paul then headed to Greece. So it goes from Macedonia down to Greece, down to Achaia. That's where the Corinthian church is. According to verse 3, Paul and his mission team spent three months ministering to the believers there in Corinth. And in verse 3, we also learn that some of the Jewish people in Corinth, they devised a plan to attack. Going, they want to take care of Paul once and for all. Uh, Paul is uh, hoping to eventually sail from Greece here uh, straight to Syria and then make his way down to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. We're going to learn that later on in these verses. And, and that ship going there, it is going to be full of Jewish people who are also headed to Jerusalem to celebrate that feast. And it seems that the plan was to attack Paul on board and do a little Jonah thing with him. Let's throw him overboard. Paul learns of that. And so the end of verse 3 that uh, it says that Paul instead, he purposed to return to Jerusalem through Macedonia. Well, Paul's going to take the long way home. Now, here in verse 4 is where we're introduced to the mission team. Here's the mission team's makeup. You've got Sopater of Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus of Thessalonica, Gaius of Derby, Timothy, Tychius, Prophemus. All these in addition to Luke, like we already know about Luke. He's writing, human author of Acts, as well as others we've learned about already in this book. Barnabas, John Mark, Silas, Aquila, and Priscilla, uh, Apollos. So what can we learn from this list of names so far in these first four verses? What can we learn from this logbook of everyone who accompanied Paul on his travels and ministered with him on this mission team? Well, we learned that Paul didn't go on mission alone. Now, he might spend a few days or, you know, um, every so often here or there traveling alone, but Paul knew. Paul applied this to his ministry, what we need to know, what we need to apply to our own efforts in the Great Commission. It takes a team, doesn't it? It takes a team. Uh, whether we're talking about church government, how the church is to be run and led, or whether we're talking about uh, the church's goal and making disciples, it takes a team. 
Uh, what is true about church attendance, assembling together, is also true about church ministry. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. It takes a team. Why? I mean, what's the benefit? Why is this God's design and serving the Lord and in Great Commission involvement? Because God tells us in Proverbs eleven fourteen, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Because we need the encouragement and accountability that, that a team provides to us. Because uh, those we minister to, <laughs> they need all of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to the church. They need all of them. It takes a team. Can you imagine what a baseball team with only infielders or catchers would be like? And I don't put a lot of W's on the board. It takes a team. That's by God's design. God creates that team when his Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to every single person who trusts in Jesus as Savior. And it's our responsibility to use those gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us in service to the Lord and service to others. And we're to do so together on a team. And we can pry into uh, what at first appears just to be a list of names here a little further. And we even learn more. I want you to take, for instance, the name Aristarchus. Um, just by his name alone and by the culture, what we know about the culture that at this time, Aristarchus was a well-off guy. Um, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, we could say. But, but born again into God's family when he trusted in Jesus as Savior. And I want you to consider the next fellow listed. His name is Secundus. And we learn from his name and what it means and the culture he grew up in that, that he had a very different upbringing, very different lifestyle than Aristarchus did. See, Secundus means second, and it was a common name for a slave. They wouldn't even be called by their birth names. They would be called by the rank in the household where they served. And they're serving God together on Paul's mission team. That's kind of a motley crew that God has assembled here, isn't it? Y'all are too. Not only is that also God's design, but it's a great reminder here of what the gospel does. They put these two names right together. They're both from Thessalonica, both from that church. Aristarchus, a guy who was born really wealthy, and a guy who currently was a slave, but he came to Jesus Christ. And they're worshiping together. They're serving the Lord together on this team because, because that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It changes lives. It's a great unifier in this world. <laughs> we are all the same. Every single person in the world, you're all the same at the foot of, of the cross. We're all sinners who need a savior. And no matter what our upbringing is, uh, no matter our social status or bank statement, we're all sinners in need of a savior. And there at the foot of the cross, those who trust in Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us to save us from our sins, then we're all united into God's family. The gospel is a great unifier. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're united to Jesus by faith. And because of that, we're united to each other. As God has Paul saying, Galatians, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? All of us. And we learn in verses 5 and 6 that these individuals on this mission team's makeup, they left Philippi, they head to Troas. Paul and Luke followed them there a few days later. Now, Paul has been to Troas once before. Um, back in chapter 16, this place, Troas is where the Holy Spirit in some way prevented Paul from preaching in Ephesus and other nearby locations. It's also where Paul had, had his Macedonian vision. One night he's, he's sleeping and he sees this man from Macedonia says, hey, come help us. Come give us uh, the gospel, the Holy Spirit calling him to plant the churches in Thessalonica and Philippi. But it seems that Paul uh, may have led some people 
there in Troas when he was there earlier uh, to trust Christ as Savior. Because in verses 7 to 12, we find a church here in Troas. Uh, and it's there we see the mission's miracle. Verse 7 begins this way. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Now, we've seen people meeting together on the first day of the week before, uh, beginning way back in, in the day of Pentecost. Uh, but this is the first instance in the book of Acts where we find an explicit description of Jesus' followers meeting together for worship on Sunday as a formed local church. And the breaking of bread is probably specifically descriptive of celebrating the Lord's Supper together as Christians. But what, what is also a part of the service here when we read these verses? More, much exhortation, that's for sure. Because verse 7 says, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech, his sermon, until midnight. That's so much exhortation, isn't it? you can exhale. I promise you I am not planning on following Paul's example here and keeping you here till midnight. Um, I, I tried to heed the words of my grandpa Neiman. He was a pastor. When I was in Bible college, he, he told me, Jason, if you can't tell people what God has for them in under 30 minutes, you haven't prepared enough or studied enough. And I didn't get an amen for that. <laughs> I thought the whole crowd would go. Um, now, earlier we read through verses 8 and 9, and um, you know what's about to happen. There's a young man uh, named Eutychus. He's seated on an open windowsill on the third floor of this church. And, and whether it's the late hour uh, or all the oil lights burning and, and fumes or, or Paul's much exhortation or a combo of all three, Eutychus begins to nod off. That's literally what it says there in the Greek. Uh, he's overpowered and finally falls into deep sleep. This, this guy was fighting it. Uh, I think I've seen that here a time or two. I don't know if they're nods, you know, amen, amens, or, or um, I have a lot of prayer warriors, uh, but I suppose it's possible some are overpowered. You know, it's funny, preachers love this passage because if the Apostle Paul couldn't keep a guy awake, then I shouldn't feel too bad, uh, too awful bad if one or two are overpowered every so often. But this turns tragic really quickly because Eutychus falls out the window and he dies. Uh, Paul then rushes down to him, and it says in verse 10, Paul fell on him, embracing him. And then what happens next? Paul says, trouble not yourselves. His life is still in him. And that, there's this mission's miracle. I have no doubt that this young man died. Uh, I don't think Luke is going to waste the space that he talks uh, about this event in these verses uh, if he was merely knocked unconscious. Um, we have seen God use the apostles before to raise people from the dead. Peter um, did so with, with Dorcas or Tabitha, as she was called. And um, there and here, God empowers this miracle that Paul does here with intent. Uh, what a reminder of the power of Christ in, in our lives, right? That, that he could raise someone from the dead. Um, and there are, there's some also some important connections here with, with previous miracles of, of resurrection, uh, much like when God used Elijah or Elisha, to raise people from the dead, Paul fell on him and he embraced him. Uh, Paul's phrase, trouble not yourselves, uh, same thing Jesus said when he raised a young girl from the dead in Mark 5, 39. Verse 12 says that it was a great comfort uh, to all those uh, in the church. Is there any greater comfort than the reality of the resurrection? That, that knowing that when we leave this world, when God says it's our time and we were called home because we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that that our spirit immediately goes there. And then one day when Christ returns, our body will be resurrected forever. Have a perfect, uh, I mean, that's, that's what the hope of the gospel is. 
And, um, and any of the miraculous acts of the apostles, whatever that miracle was here in the book of Acts, God always has this purpose. It's to powerfully prove to those who did not have all of God's word, like you and I do, that this gospel message that these apostles were sharing, that, that it was from the Lord. It was true. Uh, the miracle always authenticated the message that they were preaching. Now, why did Paul preach so long here? Well, verse 7 said that he preached until midnight, and verse 9 says it was long preaching, but verse 7 told us why, because Paul was ready to depart on the morrow. This might be his last opportunity to give them much exhortation, to uh, help those in Troas, to help them develop uh, a love for God's word and uh, an understanding of God's word. And it seems that the church here, uh, they welcomed it. Because in verse 11, it tells us that Eutychus was brought back upstairs. Uh, the church celebrated communion, probably in an unforgettable way. Um, and then Paul talked a long while, even till the break of day. So he kept on preaching. Now that sounds like mission accomplished there at that church. He, he sure gave them people a love for God's word if they sat through all of that and then came back for more. Um, Christians who are completely in love with the word of God. Christians who value uh, understanding it, knowing it, applying to their lives more than anything else in this world. And then verses 13 and 16, they close this section of scripture. And God gives us some details here uh, about the mission's maneuvers. Every, everyone who made up this mission team who was listed earlier, and this time including Luke, they set sail the next morning. They head to Assos. Um, Paul actually takes a shortcut, it says, to Troas, uh, from Troas to Assos by foot. Now, that might not make any sense, but if you looked at it, it would. If you look in the back of your Bible on one of those maps, um, because they had to sail all around this like big peninsula, and Paul's like, I can just go, go here on foot. And, and so that's what he did. And according to verses 14 and 15, the mission team, then they go from Assos to Mytilene, and then to Chios, and then to Samos, and then to Trogillium. They stay there for a bit, and finally they arrive at Miletus. And we're told why we're given these exact maneuvers here. I mean, what's the point in all these verses, and why they took this particular route? Because verse 16 says, Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he could not spend time in Asia. See, Paul knew that if his ship docked in Ephesus, his love for the Christians there, that he had not he left not long ago. Uh, their love for him, that would have made it a lot longer than an overnight stop. You ever have that? Like you want to go visit somebody, but you know, man, if I do, I won't be there for a minute. And that's what Paul's experiencing here. We shouldn't see this as any kind of slight to the church at Ephesus. Paul's got a place to be. He's got a certain time to be there. We're going to learn next week in the verses that follow that Paul calls the leaders of the church in Ephesus to come here to Miletus in order to give them some final instructions and express his deep love for them. Uh, what's this have to do with us? Well, I hope you notice that as we've been going through um, the book of Acts here, um, and especially in portions of scripture like this, I hope you've noticed the great sacrifice and effort that these Christians gave in their obedience to the Great Commission. I mean, they sacrificed a lot. They put a lot of effort into this. I, I, what a blessing it was back in March to join Joe and Marie and finally make it to Moldova, a place I've been trying to get to for three years. It was a long flight. Uh, longest flight I've ever been on, um, where I wasn't sleeping. Or, uh, but um, can you imagine how long it would have taken back there to go from North Carolina to Moldova? 
I mean, that's what this list is. a one verse. It's a list. But I mean, this took weeks. This took months for him to get from Greece uh, to Jerusalem. But their passion to obey the great commission Jesus gave us. Um, to them, it probably did not seem like a sacrifice or that it wasn't all that much of, of an effort. What might look simply like an itinerary with a bunch of geographical uh, locations here that we never heard of. Like it should, that's how it applies to us. It should encourage us to do the same. Because Jesus gave us the same commission as we're going here, there, and everywhere. We are to make disciples. And, and so my point is that, that for us, for at least most of the time, our going is much easier than theirs, isn't it? So we ought to be doing as much as they did or more. Mission trips that would take months or years for them because of transportation modes, they take hours for us. Most of us, we live in a, here in the United States, we live in a culture and a place where we have a lot more freedom to share the gospel than they did. Are you doing that? Are you given every opportunity um, to point people to, to Jesus Christ? Are you seizing every opportunity? And when we look at a passage like this, do you see what we can learn and what we can apply from God's word when we just dig a little bit deeper? Don't rush through it when we meditate on each and every word God's given us. What at first glance appears to be just this facts-laden historical account of, of a mission trip in a faraway place. Um, God has reminded us here this morning that first of all, it's his design for us to work together. In obedience to the Great Commission, we're to be a team. Are you on it? I mean, are you, are you, how are you serving the Lord? How are you fulfilling the Great Commission with the spiritual gifts that God has given you uh, the calling he's put on your life. What team are you on uh, w working synergistically to make the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere? And secondly, God also reminds us that in Jesus Christ, we have resurrection power. The, the same, like the song says, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. It lives in us. It lives in us. Giving us freedom from the power of sin over our lives. We're a new creation. We're to walk in newness of life. One day, uh, we'll have a, a perfect sinless body. But right now, even, here and now, God regenerating us through his Holy Spirit, empowering us to walk in newness of life. Are you doing that? Are you living in resurrection power? That's our great hope, church. New life in Christ now, eternal life with him forever. And finally, God reminded us here uh, of the privileged state that we have, you and I are in. At least right now, I mean, I'm convicted as I consider the great sacrifice, the great effort that, that these early Christians gave in service to the Lord and in sharing the gospel. So would you ask this morning, would you ask God to make you aware as you go into this week? Say, guys, wherever I go this week, make me aware of opportunities I have to make the name of Jesus treasure, to point people to Jesus Christ. God, when I become aware of those opportunities, give me the courage to, to seize them and to tell people about the hope that I have in Jesus. And even if it were to come at great cost this week or sometime in the future, would you commit this morning to faithfully obey what Jesus has given you to do? I'm going to ask Judy to come uh, now and we're going to uh, have a time to respond to God's word. And as we sing uh, this invitation song, we sing, Only Trust Him. However, God's used his word this morning and the Holy Spirit's used it to call you to respond, to make a commitment to him, to bring your life in alignment with his will. I just ask that you'd obey. Let's all stand on saying only trust him.